It was a beautiful singing this morning. Great to hear your, your voices crying out to the Lord. So um, appreciated that. Um, most of you have probably heard the saying, money talks. Many of us are kind of familiar with that saying, and it's actually what I named this, uh, this two-part message from this section of James in chapter 5. Now, I want to start this morning with a, a little story about money that actually talked, that actually talked. It's a story about a, a $1 bill and a $20 bill, and they were both pretty worn out from being in circulation. And I don't know if you know it, but, but the banks, when, when, when money comes in and they receive money, if it's, if it's worn out and it's pretty tattered, they collect it. And then it gets sent off to the Federal Reserve Bank, and then it's destroyed and replaced. You know, and they're, they're constantly printing more money to replace the ones that get worn out and everything. So, so our story involves a couple of these bills who had found themselves sent back to a Federal Reserve Bank to be retired. And there's a, there's a $1 bill and a $20 bill. And as they moved along this conveyor line, they, they struck up this conversation, began to talk. The $20 bill, he, as he's going along this conveyor, he began to reminisce about, about his travels all over the country, everything that he had seen and experienced as a, a $20 bill. He goes, well, I've, I've had a pretty good life. He says, well, I've, I've, been to, I've been to Las Vegas, and I've been to Atlantic City. I've been to, to uh, the finest restaurants in New York and and." And on Broadway, I've seen performances on Broadway, and I've even been on Caribbean cruises. One dollar bill says, wow, well, you have had an exciting life. So the $20 bill turns, and he says, so, so tell me about you. Tell me about your, your lifetime. Where have you been? So one dollar bill replies, well, let me see, I've... I've been to the Methodist church, I've been to the Baptist church, I've been to the Lutheran church. And the $20 bill says, well, wait, well hold on a second, wait a minute, what's, what's a church? Yeah. Words are one thing, but when someone slaps down their money, writes a check, their words take on new meaning. And often it reveals more about a person, what a person believes, their, what they think, their values than the actual words that they say. Money and the, and the pursuit of wealth can have such a power of, powerful effect on our lives that the, the Bible speaks of it 2,350 times, more than anything else. Like we talked about last week, money in and, in and of itself is, is not bad. Even being rich is not necessarily bad. There's many, many godly examples in the Bible. Besides, who wouldn't like to be rich, right? Who wouldn't like to be rich? Very few would say, no, that's all right. Not for me. I think we all would enjoy having a little bit of money, but, but we're, we're all familiar with that, that saying that it's, that it's better to be poor and happy than rich and miserable. Right? Many of us are familiar with that saying. But I think many of us live as if we believe, well, but couldn't something be worked out? Couldn't some, some compromise happen where we can be moderately wealthy and maybe just a little moody, right? 
As Christians, we know, we know that the Bible has many warnings against the dangers of pursuing wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, for example, the Apostle Paul warns, For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, the warning is there for those that want to be rich. Most of us read that and we say, well, I can handle that, or I'd at least like to try. Sometimes it seems as if if we had more money, that it could solve a whole lot of our problems. And maybe it could. Maybe it could solve some of our problems. But we often forget that wealth can also create a lot of problems as well. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Last week we began chapter 5 as James seemed to, to take on the role of an Old Testament prophet with a stinging rebuke of the evil rich. And he had just finished warning about the arrogant business people who had made plans without even considering God and their plans in chapter 4. Now, as we turn into chapter 5, he's not even giving a warning. He's not even giving a warning. He is telling them of the judgment that is coming. So let's, let's remind ourselves, let's read our scripture again, James chapter 5, 1 through 6, page 1291 of the Pew Bible. God's word says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So last week we looked at our first two points that James makes in verses 1 through 3. That wealth can lead to great heartache. There's terrible troubles ahead for those that follow this path in life. And then we looked at the second point, the short-sightedness of uselessly hoarding earthly possessions in in the light of eternity. Today we're going to look at two more things, two more points. First, we'll look at another warning that wealth can lead to. In verses 4 through 6, we'll see that it leads to many sins. Many sins. The love of money and chasing wealth can lead us to many other sins. And God hears and sees them all, and they will not go unpunished. But then, at the end, we're also going to look at wealth can also lead to many blessings. Many blessings. All we have is from God, and it is useful for his work. So let's get started. Let's go ahead and jump into this. This morning, wealth can lead to many sins. Verses 4 through 6. 
Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, there's three things. There's three things that we need to see here. First, we see that their, their wealth was unjustly gained. It was unjustly gained. There was the sin of dishonesty here. James 4, 5, verse 4 again. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. James was denouncing wealthy landowners that were cheating their laborers out of their hard-earned wages. Now, whether they were paying them, uh, not paying them the full amount, or, or they were cheating them out of a, the pretext that they weren't fulfilling their quota, that they're supposed to harvest so much grain or, or fill so many baskets for the day, or we don't know for sure what the reason was, but it was a common enough problem that it was mentioned several times in the Bible. Leviticus 19.13, the Lord commanded the Israelites, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. See, often in that economy, day laborers got by on that day's pay. They were poor, and they, and they just barely got by as it was. And the money that they earned today bought the food for tomorrow. They literally lived paycheck to paycheck. That's why, that's why the Lord says, don't withhold, don't keep the money overnight. They need that money to, to buy food for today. To withhold it on some false pretenses or to try to cheat them out of it would literally rob the worker and his family of their daily bread. Their daily bread. They count on it. And they often have no other option. Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are, on, or who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and he counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Now, we know that money often buys influence, power, protection from prosecution. The rich know how to use their cash to, to bend the legal system their way, don't they? Often the rich know that they have the upper hand in, in these situations. And they can use excuses to, to push, push people off. Sorry, I, I forgot my checkbook today. Forgot my checkbook today. I don't... Man, I don't have cash on me. I tell you what, come back, come back tomorrow and uh, work for me tomorrow and I'll pay you for two days. How about that? Next day, works. Oh, man, I got busy. I'm sorry. I forgot to go to the bank. Tell you what, help me again tomorrow. You know, I really need to get, really need to get the, the crops in. I really need to get this harvest. So come back and help me again tomorrow. And the same thing again Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now the man is he's desperate, desperate to feed his family. And when he confronts the man, 
the rich man says, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. You'll never get your money. Don't push me, buddy. Poor man goes home with nothing. Angry, worried, desperate. But what can he do? What can he do? He can't afford to hire a lawyer. The rich can play this game a long time, can't they? They've got the upper hand. They can drag this out for weeks and weeks. The poor are at the mercy of someone that has none. So knowing all this, James issues a stern warning. God hears the cries of the oppressed who call out to him day and night. See, he sees what the rich man does. He knows how he uses his wealth to crush the poor. The cries of the workers reach the ears of the Lord of the harvest. And here is the message in one sentence. The man who cheats the poor will be dealt with by a God who is big enough to do something about it. Wealth can protect you from many things on earth, but it cannot protect you against the judgment of God. Most of us are, are not in a position of paying wages to workers. If we are, if we are, we should be generous. We should be fair. We should pay them what they're owed. But even if we're not, even if we're not, the principle still applies. It's always wrong to cheat others for your own financial gain. If you owe someone, don't try to cheat your way out of it. Don't try to cheat your way out of it, no matter how small it is. You don't know. They may desperately need that 50 bucks that you owe them. And this principle applies to more than just money. To withhold anything that is rightly due to someone else. To make insincere, insincere excuses to keep them, to keep it from them, is lying. To instead, to keep it from, for your benefit, whatever it is, is fraud. The wages cry out. You having it is evidence. It's evidence of your guilt. There is no excuse. To put someone in this desperate situation by cheating them is fraud. It is unfair. It is cruel. It is dishonest. Make no mistake. It is sin. God sees, he hears, and he knows. Wealth can lead to the sin of dishonesty. Injustice will not last forever. The second thing we see there is that wealth, their wealth was selfishly spent. Selfishly spent. The sin of self-indulgence. We see that in verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now, James is not saying you, we can't enjoy the, the good things of this world that God gives us. That's, that would be a straight-up denial of God's goodness and what he has made. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. The rich man James is talking about had fattened themselves at the expense of their workers. They had refused to pay their deserved wages. They kept what didn't belong to them. 
and their greed blinded them to the needs of others. All they thought about was themselves, what they wanted. They completely disregarded the life, the needs of the others, and how them holding on to that was depriving the other person. Having increased their wealth unjustly and dishonestly, they added to their sin by using their wealth for their own self-indulgence. This was not, they were withholding it because they didn't have it. They were not paying because they didn't have the money to pay them. They were not giving it to them because they had no other choice. They were in a desperate situation themselves. No, they, they had what they needed. They had more than they needed. They just didn't want to give it up. They wanted to keep it for themselves, for their own benefit. Self-indulgence, excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's own appetites, desires, or whims. Anything self-indulgent you do for yourself without thinking about other people. James described their self-indulgence using three phrases. Self-indulgent luxury. James says, you have spent your years on earth in luxury. This word luxury has the basic meaning of, of softness. They decided to live in soft, extravagant luxury at the expense of others. James goes on to say they were self-indulgent, satisfying their every desire. This is simply giving yourself over to the pursuit of pleasure. If it makes me happy, then do it, then buy it. Own it. Take it if you have to. But life without self-denial soon goes out of control in every other area. Paul describes such people as dead even while they live. 1 Timothy 5, 6. But she who lives self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. See, someone that lives a worldly, immoral, ungodly life may be alive physically, but their lifestyle proves they are unregenerate. They're spiritually dead. Then James says, you have fattened your hearts. You have fattened your hearts. You have fattened your life with things and pleasure. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, in Matthew 6, 21. For these people, their treasure is worldly wealth and living to gratify their selfish, sinful desires. Completely blind and unconcerned about the needs of others, especially to those that they have cheated to get where they are. See, they're just, they're just living it up, living it up, loving every minute of it. Their hearts full of pride, satisfaction, what they have in the life that they live. Keeping with the metaphor of having fattened their hearts, James warns of a coming day of slaughter. And this, this is a frightening picture of judgment. In vivid language, he depicts the self-indulgent hoarders as fattened calves headed for the slaughterhouse of divine judgment. Like the rich fool of Luke 12 that we talked about many times, he was secure in, his, in all his wealth. That very night, his soul was required of him. Jesus concluded that parable by saying this in Luke 12, 21. 
This is how it will be for anyone who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. Apart from saving faith in Christ, that is the reality that awaits anyone that lives selfishly for themselves. Riches can trick you into thinking that you don't need God. After all, if you've got money, you can create your own heaven on earth, right? But it's not real and it won't last. And we will be judged for it. Just as an animal will naively fill their bellies full with anything they can consume. They just keep fattening themselves up. Think of cattle, pigs, any other chickens, any other animal. Just keep feeding them. They just eat it all up, right? Completely oblivious. Give it to me. More, more, more. Stuffing themselves. Gorged. Completely oblivious the fact that it only makes their impending slaughter that more sure. Only serves as evidence that they're deserving of it. Right? You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. See, the heart of the problem is, is always the problem of the heart. James is talking about a selfish attitude that sees yourself at the center of it all. It's all about you. Your income is about your happiness, your joy, your pleasure, your comfort. You satisfy your desire first, and then if there's anything left, well, you might bless someone else. And there's a fine line here in Scripture. We are commanded to enjoy the fruits of our labors. There's, there's many Scriptures, and we're going to cover a few of those in a minute. However, there's a point where enjoying our wages crosses the line into self indulgent living into selfishness there's a point when it crosses into living in excess there's a point when we cross from enjoying life as a christian to resting our hope and finding our pleasures in the material things of the world now i don't believe i don't believe i can tell you where that line is because god God does not state an explicit line. Like, right here, you can live up to this, but if you go past that. All of us make a different amount here. All of us have different financial responsibilities. All of us are at different places on the financial spectrum. Here to here. But here's one thing that I know. All of us can live with less. All of us can live with less. But the sad reality is that most of us, most of us want to be judged based on the size of our cars, our houses, our flat screen TVs. See, it's, it's a measure of success. I made it. Look how well I've done. We all want that to a degree or another. But the reality is all of these things are luxuries regardless of their size. Talked about that last week. We are rich compared to the world. So I can't come into your home and judge your life on this matter. You, you 
must answer these questions for yourself. Are you consumed with your own pleasures? Are you consumed with your own pleasures? Have you gorged yourself on the luxury of life at the expense of others? Do you close your eyes to the needs of your brothers? The needs of the work of God. But you have your eyes wide open to your own desires. You spend for your personal gratification. We, we are self-indulgent cows. This is what James calls us at the end of verse 5. We've indulged ourselves, we fatten ourselves for the day of slaughter. Wealth can lead to the sin of self-indulgence. God will judge us. Next, we see their wealth was ruthlessly acquired. Ruthlessly acquired. It's a sin of oppression. Look at James 5, 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The word translated condemned comes from the courtroom. It's catechisticacity. To sentence, to pass sentence upon, to pronounce guilty. Now those Greek words, they may be hard to pronounce, but they're important because they, they help us have understanding of what the writer is actually saying here. And the righteous person are, are these innocent workmen who are believers. Now it's possible that some of the probl problematic people that were complaining about not getting paid were, were actually murdered. But given Given that word and its connotation from courtroom, it's more likely that the poor people that were cheated of their wages, it's more likely the poor people that were cheated of their wages couldn't pay their debts. debts. They were forced to sell their possessions. If that wasn't enough, they were thrown into prison, debtor's prison. Remember, this was a different time. If you owed money, somebody would take you to court. He owes me money. He owes me a hundred bucks. Make him pay. If you couldn't pay on the spot, throw him in prison until he can pay, right? Debtor's prison. We don't have that here because we're rich. No means of support, no opportunity to even work. Even work to pay off their debts. These poor people and their families often died of starvation. There's another possibility, probably pretty remote. The poor man may have gathered every dime that he had, every dime that he had to take this rich person to court, get the money that was owed to him. But even in Israel, there was terrible corruption. And these rich people knew how to work the system. They knew how to bribe the judges. Go back to that example I gave before. Poor labor that was ripped off. The owner lied to his face. Gathered every penny to, to take him to court. The rich man, he can hire the best lawyers. He can hire a PR firm to put ads in the paper, put out his story, tell about all the good things that he has done. Bribe the judge. Think of John Gotti, the Teflon Don. Remember that, Teflon Don? How many remember John Gotti? Yeah? 
infamous mobster. They had all this evidence. But what would happen? Every time the feds would start to crack down on him, he would do all of these fancy things, all these nice things in the neighborhood, supporting soup kitchens and this and that, and, and he would put all this media out there about what a great guy he was for the community, how much he had done. He would always get away with it. Well, they called him Teflon Don. Nothing stuck. They couldn't get anything to stick. Rich man, he hires the best lawyers, PR firms, he bribes the judge. He turns everything upside down. This poor man tries to get justice, but he didn't stand a chance. Not only does he lose the case, but then he gets countersued for defamation. The judge throws him in prison. The man's bankrupt, defeated. The rich man, he just goes upon his life laughs about it on the golf course with his buddies. See it happen. It's oppression. One of the marks of oppression is a dissatisfaction with, with merely abusing others or taking from them what is rightly theirs, not just depriving them. It's not satisfied. That's not enough. It's not enough. Oppression demonstrates its demonic origin and its goal to destroy those that are being abused. James is confronting a mindset that treats others with, with no regard to their dignity as people. Defrauds them of the wages, their possessions, things due to them. Conspires to cheat them out of everything. Disregards their very lives. They're not even worth it. How dare they come against me? Don't they know who I am? Mess with me, I will destroy you. Let that be a lesson to anyone else who dares come against me. There will always be organizations, people, and institutions that allow this kind of depression to exist legally. The rich will get richer. The poor will get poorer. But believers must know that God is passionately against oppression. Human law, as contrived as it is, sometimes is, does not determine right and wrong in God's eyes. Just because you may have not broken a legal law doesn't mean that you haven't broken God's moral law. Human law does not require charity or, or genuine care for our neighbors. Not required. You don't have to give to a charity by law. But God's law, God's character do. It demands a higher order of living from us. We could sit there and we say, well, we could rationalize and say, that's not me. I don't do that. It may be true that you may not cheat people out of their wages. You don't sue them. You don't bankrupt them. You don't send them to jail. Yet Christians can tolerate and even incorporate harsh business practices where, where they are or go along with them. Just, you know, it's just the cost of doing business. You know, it's, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. You know, you just got to do what you got to do. Firing people close to retirement so they don't have to pay pensions. Unfair wages for women, for seniors, 
for other marginalized groups. Keeping wages low enough so that they're always dependent on the job. They just always just scrape by, but never enough that they can really thrive. These things and, and other injustices can exist unless we change how we treat people. The conditions that James is describing may seem hopeless. Many of these kinds of people will not repent. They will just keep doing what they do. They will keep mistreating and oppressing people. But as believers, we can have hope because Christ is coming back. He will bring judgment. He will bring justice. James addresses this next. We'll look at this next week. James says, he doesn't resist you. He says, you, you kill this man, but he doesn't resist you. Now, this doesn't mean that, that you just let yourself get run over, that you don't defend yourself, that you don't stand up for yourself. We need to do that. But we must resist the urge to, to get back at him. That employer who owes you 100 bucks. well, these are steaks here in the freezer. These are probably worth 10 bucks a piece. I take ten, 10 of those home. You know, I'm just getting what he owes me anyway. No. That's stealing. That's stealing. Or that guy, that rotten guy, man, I'm going to show him. You go slash all his tires. That's not justice. That's retribution. God says, I... I will deal with that. Don't take it in your own hand. Don't allow their sin to pull you into your own sin. The wages scream out. God hears it. He sees it. He will deal with it. Don't lose your credibility in the process. We'll talk about that more next week. We've looked at the bad side of wealth money that James condemns here. But before we close, I think it's important that we also acknowledge something else about wealth. Wealth can also lead to many blessings. Many blessings. Before we finish, I want to make something clear. Wealth is not the problem. Wealth is not the problem. It's the love of wealth that is the problem. The Bible's full of, of godly examples. People walking by faith. Generous people who are very wealthy. Abraham and Job and David and Solomon. God chooses to bless his creation with good, perfect gifts. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shade, shadow due to change. Proverbs 10.22 The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. He wants us to enjoy the fruits of our labors, too. Ecclesiastes 3.13 And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Isaiah 3.10 Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruits of their deeds. 
Psalm 128.2, you, 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 you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. We are his children, and he, he wants to bless us. He wants to be able to show his love for us through, through these things. He wants to reward our good and our hard work. He wants to share the riches of his glory. Sometimes he, he chooses to bless more than others, too. Matthew 5.45, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on, and on the unjust. Sometimes we look at that and we say, Well, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm a good Christian. I'm doing the right thing. But I don't have all of that wealth. I don't have the money like, like Abraham or, or Job or, or Solomon. Look at these other rich people. Some of them we talked about last week on the, the Forbes list, right? Why? For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Why? Because he chooses to. His plan, his plan, his purposes, we don't see them. We don't recognize we don't know exactly how he's going to use that. So whatever he does bless you with, be thankful. Be thankful because you have exactly what he, exactly what he said you were going to have. To finish our time together, I think it would be helpful to, to read 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9.8. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God will provide for your needs. And if you manage it right, you will have plenty left over to bless others. We have to make the choice. God has blessed you with wealth. Choose to be a blessing to others. Use the wealth God has given you to help others further the kingdom of God. But that can only happen if you are rich in faith. James 2.5 Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? You're rich toward God, Luke 12, 21 tells us. That wealth that he has blessed us with, it is to be used to bless others, to be in a position to hear a need, be able to help with it. What a blessing it is, right? Around Christmas time, we, you know, we even say it. It's better to give than to receive. why we have it. Doesn't it feel good when you're able, when you hear a need 
And you're in a position to be able to help in that need. We've experienced it here at Faith Chapel over the past year. Dramatic ways. The well, the well went out, right? That was a huge expense. Huge expense. 232 feet, I think, is what it ended up being, right? It was a deep well. It wasn't cheap. But godly people stepped up. It was provided for. The AC, remember how hot it used to be in the summer? Somebody's like, no, let me help. The windows, work day, scraping the windows to paint them. Lower level windows, they're rotten out. They've lived their life. Somebody said, there's a need. Let me help. Needs of the church provided through his people. Countless acts between person to person, too. This is, this is not a tithing push. This is not a, hey, open up your checkbook, give to the church. That's not what this is about. God blessed others so they would be able to bless others. They were used to advance his kingdom, which then blessed others. These are eternal blessings. We're blessed with things so that we're able we're able to meet the needs. God owns everything. He could choose, he could choose to, to bless that person directly. He could just send that money just fall from heaven right next to him. He doesn't often work that way. He does that through ordinary means, through his tools, his people. He blesses you with it so that you're in a position when you hear that need, yes, I can help. Wealth is to be a source of blessing that must not be uselessly hoarded, unjustly gained, selfishly spent, or ruthlessly acquired. It can lead to many sins, dishonesty, self-indulgence, oppression. Instead, we should let wealth lead to many blessings. You heard me say last week, money talks. Money talks. What will your money say? What will your money say? I'm struck by what James says in verse 1 about our money testifying against us in the last day. When you stand before the Lord, your money will be a witness for or against you. What will your money say about you? Well, he built a great empire. He built a great empire. She always dressed in the greatest fashions. They lived like royalty. Or he cared for the poor. She invested in the great commission. They used their money to help others. See, how you spend your money is a gospel issue. We can't squirm out from underneath the, the biting impact of what James writes. Some deep sense, your money, all of life is, is about money and time. There's really nothing else. There's not really another category. Maybe, maybe talent. When we stand before the Lord, we'll have to answer for how we spent our time 
how we spent our money, our talent. How you spend it is a gospel issue. You don't need to feel guilty about having money or being blessed beyond what you deserve. You don't need to be... If God has blessed you with wealth, don't feel guilty about it. Be grateful and thankful. If you have more than you deserve. Because here's the truth. We all deserve hell. We all deserve hell. And apart from Jesus, that's where we will all end up. Be thankful for the grace of God that has saved you. And then pray that that grace may reach all the way to your pocketbook. There's a saying, show me your calendar and show me your checkbook and I will tell you what you believe. Wealth can lead to great heartache, terrible troubles, lead to short-sightedness, useless hoarding in light of eternity, can lead to many sins, dishonesty, self-indulgence, oppression, can also lead to many blessings if we remember who gave it to us and and why he gave it to us in the end we come back to a familiar theme even from chapter four hold lightly what you have because it isn't yours anyway your plans are not your own your life your blessings everything you have is a gift from god so hold them lightly. Don't be afraid to let go of the things that you own because you never really own them anyway. All of life is on loan from God. One day we will give back everything to the Lord, even the life he gave us in the beginning. We must not think that this couldn't happen to us either. Money does weird things to people, doesn't it? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Apart from God's grace, we may become enslaved to our money, insensitive to the needs of others. Let go of the things that you own. It all belongs to God anyway. And then use it as a blessing for others. And then let that be evidence of your tested faith, his glory. Amen? Everything we have is from him. Everything. Everything. Our plans. Our very life. The money. The talent. Everything is on loan from him. As we seek to be witnesses in our community, even within our families, let us be good stewards with what he has given us. Let us hold lightly to what he has given. He'll, we'll give it all back one day and we will give an account for what we've done with it. Let us not be like these, these rich, evil people here, fattening our days, fattening our hearts for the day of slaughter. Instead, choose to be a blessing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you again, humbled and reminded of who we are. Father, how sinful we can often be. 
Father, even though we may not be these, these evil rich people who have defrauded people of their daily wages, and maybe we haven't taken them to court, maybe we haven't oppressed them, but Father, maybe we have probably done that in many smaller, smaller ways. But Father, that sin is no less severe, no less unsightly in your sight. Father, I pray that you would search us, search our hearts, search the way that we have chosen to use the blessings that you have given us. Are we honoring you with them? Are we using them to be a blessing to others? Are we, the, are we using them to advance your kingdom? Or are we living selfish, self-indulgent lives? Father, I pray that you would help us help us to, to live lives that, that show that we truly believe that everything comes from you and that it is for your purposes that you have chosen to give them to us. Father God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in and through our lives and in how we treat this manner of money. We give you thanks for how you will work this all out for your glory. Amen.